If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Story time. Head over to Hulu this March where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie All of Us Strangers starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series We Were the Lucky Ones with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, 
so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. I'm not a trucker, but I was driving home from a long night of work and I see a cop car turn and go behind me on the highway. I slowed down a bit even though I wasn't speeding because that's my natural reaction when I see a cop. Anyway, he pulled behind me and I was watching the cop in my rear view mirror and when I looked back at the road ahead of me that same cop car just like appeared in front of me. I looked back and there was no other car behind me. His license plate said K9 so I knew it was a cop. There was no passing lane and he was a ways behind me so there was no way he could have passed me really fast. When he was in front of me he turned on his blinker and was going to take a left turn. I went in the bypass lane and looked at him through the window and I shit you not, he didn't have a face. I knew somehow that we made eye contact but he didn't have a face. It was just sort of like a black sillet or something. No the cop wasn't just a black guy. I have watched videos and the men in black come up and shit like that so yeah that's my weird experience. I'm Steve Williams, a police officer from a small town in Oregon. On July 9th, I decided to spend my day off exploring the area east of the Malala River. I had always been fascinated by the legends and mysteries surrounding Bigfoot and I couldn't help but indulge in my curiosity whenever I had some free time. I drove out to Table Rock Road, about 10 miles from the Bee Ranch campground, an area where I had once before found possible Bigfoot tracks. The dense forest and the isolation of the place made it a perfect spot for such a creature to hide, and I was eager to find more evidence. As I walked along the side of the road, I noticed a series of young alder trees broken at around 8 to 10 feet up. The brakes were fresh, and there were quite a few of them going downhill along the side of the road. The broken ends were left dangling, and the damage couldn't have been caused by winter snow. My heart raced as I followed the trail of broken trees downhill. I couldn't shake the feeling that I was onto something big, something that could potentially prove the existence of the elusive Bigfoot. The further I went, the more broken trees I found each one increasing my excitement and anticipation. As I continued deeper into the forest, I came across a small clearing where the ground was covered in what appeared to be footprints. They were large and had a distinct shape that couldn't be mistaken for any known animal in the area. I took out my camera and started documenting the scene, making sure to capture every detail. Suddenly, I heard a rustling in the bushes behind me. My heart leapt into my throat as I spun around, my hand instinctively reaching for my sidearm. A large shadowy figure emerged from the foliage, standing at least eight feet tall and covered in thick, matted hair. I couldn't believe my eyes. There, standing only a few yards away from me, was the creature I had been searching for all these years, Bigfoot. It stared at me with curious, intelligent eyes, and for a moment, I felt a connection with this legendary being. As quickly as it had appeared, the creature turned and sprinted back into the forest, its powerful limbs propelling it effortlessly through the underbrush. 
I tried to follow, but it was no use, the creature was far too fast, and I soon lost sight of it. I returned to the broken trees and footprints, still in awe of what I had just witnessed. I knew that many people would doubt my story, but I had the evidence to back it up. I gathered the broken tree branches and took more photos of the footprints before making my way back to my vehicle. That day changed my life forever. I had seen the legendary Bigfoot with my own eyes, and I knew that I could no longer dismiss the countless stories and encounters that people had shared over the years. I became a dedicated Bigfoot researcher, using my skills as a police officer to investigate sightings and gather evidence. My encounter with Bigfoot on that fateful day will always be a vivid memory, and my search for the truth will never end. I had just begun my shift at the police station when a young woman walked in, looking scared and frantic. She said someone had been stalking her in her new apartment, and she needed our help. At first, we thought it was a simple case, but as she told her story, it became clear that there was something more sinister going on. The woman, who we'll call Emily, had moved into her apartment just two weeks prior. She had found the place online, and despite the unusually low rent for the area, the pictures looked great. The broker seemed legitimate, so she decided to visit the building. It was after this phone call with the broker that she started receiving late-night blank calls, which only escalated her fear. When she visited the building, everything seemed fine, but there was a group of people outside the apartment that made her uneasy. Despite this, she decided to move in a month later. The moving crew commented on the apartment's cold and uneasy atmosphere, but Emily brushed it off as moving day nerves. But strange things started happening almost immediately. She saw shadows moving around her apartment and felt an unnatural darkness lingering in the hallway. She received a mysterious package addressed to her, and when she looked up at her balcony from outside, she felt like someone was watching her. When she went inside her apartment, the door was ajar, but nobody was inside. One night, she ordered food delivery, and a man she didn't recognize came to her door. He wouldn't respond when she asked if he was the delivery person and continued to pound on her door. Eventually, he left, and the actual delivery person arrived. She paid him in cash, even though he claimed that she had already paid online. The strange occurrences continued, her plants on the balcony were smashed, the lights flickered, and someone constantly knocked on her door. After two weeks, Emily came to us for help. We checked the CCTV footage around her apartment building and, while we saw her looking out of her door multiple times, we didn't see any suspicious individuals. The delivery person's account didn't match Emily's story either. We decided to visit her apartment ourselves. As we entered the apartment, we couldn't deny the cold and eerie feeling inside. Emily mentioned that there was an inexplicable draft, but we couldn't find the source. The neighbors told us about a disturbing history of the apartment, with multiple women moving in, only to disappear shortly after. The previous tenant, a woman in her 40s, had disappeared months ago. When we showed the delivery person her photo, he identified her as the woman who had taken the food that night. But she couldn't have been there. An elderly neighbor shared a theory about the apartment sending its residents to a different dimension, but we couldn't take her seriously. 
All we knew was that something strange was happening in that apartment. We advised Emily to call us if anything else happened, but we didn't hear from her for another two weeks. When we went to check on her, the apartment was locked, and Emily was gone. The unnerving mystery of the apartment continued, leaving us with no answers, only more questions, and an unsettling feeling that would haunt us for the rest of our careers. Despite the lack of concrete evidence, we couldn't shake the feeling that something was terribly wrong with that apartment. We decided to dig deeper into its history, searching for any clues that could explain the strange events and the disappearances of its tenants. We interviewed former residents and neighbors, many of whom shared similar eerie stories. We discovered that the building's landlord had changed hands numerous times, and each one seemed eager to sell the property quickly. The more we investigated, the more it seemed that everyone involved with the apartment wanted to distance themselves from it. As we delved into the building's history, we learned that it was once a hospital, and the room that was now Emily's apartment had been the morgue. This revelation sent a chill down our spines. Could this explain the cold and uneasy presence felt in the apartment? Our investigation led us to a local historian who specialized in paranormal events. He suggested that the apartment might be a liminal space, a place where the boundaries between dimensions are thin, allowing for strange occurrences and, possibly, the disappearances of its residents. As improbable as it seemed, the evidence was mounting. We approached our superiors with our findings, but they were skeptical. They believed that the tenants had simply left without notice, and the strange stories were just coincidences fueled by an overactive imagination. But we couldn't let it go. The disappearances of Emily and the other women weighed heavily on our minds. We decided to set up a stakeout in the apartment, hoping to catch a glimpse of the elusive stalker, or at the very least, find a logical explanation for the strange events. We moved into the apartment, setting up cameras and recording devices throughout the space. The first few nights were uneventful, but on the fourth night, something changed. The air in the apartment grew colder, and the darkness seemed to come alive, wrapping itself around us like a suffocating blanket. The walls began to vibrate, and we heard an unearthly scream that shook us to our core. In that moment, we knew we were dealing with something beyond our understanding. We abandoned the stakeout, fleeing the apartment in terror. We reported our experience to our superiors, but they dismissed it as a stress-induced hallucination. Frustrated and scared, we decided to take matters into our own hands. We contacted a renowned paranormal investigator and asked for their help. With their assistance, we performed a cleansing ritual in the apartment, hoping to rid it of the malevolent energy that haunted it. To our surprise, the ritual seemed to work. The apartment's atmosphere changed, and the mysterious occurrences ceased. However, we never found Emily or the other missing women. Their disappearances remained an unsolved mystery that would haunt us for years to come. In the end, we couldn't prove that the apartment was a gateway to another dimension or that it was haunted by the spirits of the dead. But we knew that something inexplicable and terrifying had happened there, and we would never forget the chilling experiences we had within those cold, dark walls. As a park ranger, you become immune to many weird things, strange figures in the woods, unnatural looking animals, or even the downright paranormal. 
After a point, you kind of just live with it. The rule is, if you don't interfere in matters that don't concern you, you'll be safer for the most part. I hope the rule works, because sometimes situations get far too real and scary. They get far, far too real. Granted, not every ranger experiences the paranormal. While most of us lead somewhat adventurous lives, some more than others, there's also a category of rangers who wouldn't consider their job anything but mundane. To this day, I belonged in the middle of this spectrum. But something happened last week, and while I would have liked to ignore it as I usually do, I don't think I can. My partner, whom we'll call Carlos, had patrol duty for the night. We have both been relocated and recently moved into this cabin somewhere in the corner of the park, where several other rangers have stayed in the past. It's a decent little space, two adjoining rooms and a tiny little bath. Not very spacious, but who am I to demand luxury in the middle of nowhere and at a job like this anyway? Around 7 PM, we had some tea, read some news, and put on our gear, leaving the cabin. There aren't many other rangers stationed nearby at the moment, so we had a lot of ground to cover. I didn't mind, I liked walking in the dark. Sure, it had been scary for my initial years as a ranger, but over time, I found it to be very peaceful. This is weird, I know, but the peace for me is very real. We walked for an hour straight in silence before finally getting bored and making some small talk. Carlos started by cracking some pathetically lame jokes, which somehow transitioned into horror stories. He belonged to an orthodox home and strongly believed in the paranormal. For a guy from New Jersey, he definitely has some good scares up his sleeve. Around what I guess was 2 or 3 in the morning, we sat down on a tree that had fallen nearby. I took out some juice I'd brought with me and handed him one. They had felt unnaturally cold for the weather then, and there was actual condensation on the outside. In hindsight, that should have been a major flag. As we drank, Carlos shared more stories. He was telling me about some flying vinegar-dipped vampire from the Philippines when I heard a groan. My instinct told me it was an injured creature, but it didn't feel like the groan of an animal. It felt human-like, that of an older woman grunting in pain. It was very distinct. Carlos and I jumped up from the log at the same time, he had heard it too. I nodded at him, and he pointed his flashlight in the direction of the sound. It came again, albeit a little more distant this time. I called out, but there was no response. With my right hand on my firearm and my flashlight in the left, I followed the direction of the voice, calling out repeatedly. The groan came yet again, and we increased our pace. I was in front while Carlos quickly trailed behind, calling out a series of hellos and is anybody there? Like a broken record. After a minute or so of walking, we discovered the source of the voice. In front of us was a short, pale old woman in a black cape, facing towards us but looking straight down and mumbling something. She was bald, and her cape was very baggy and tattered. I instantly sensed something unnatural, it creeped the heck out of me. However, in the off chance that this was a human, we were obligated to help her. Carlos approached the woman, asking if she was hurt. When she looked up, her face was wrong. In the dim light, I could see the manifestation of the unnaturalness I'd felt a second ago. Her eyes were pitch black, as if nothing was there, 
and she looked at Carlos with those alien eyes. Even her skin was dead looking, a dark blue. He froze in his tracks. Her mouth was basically a huge gash in her face that went ear to ear. This lady, or whatever this thing was, put on her hood and shifted her gaze towards me, speaking something telepathically before just vanishing in the middle of nowhere, almost like she disintegrated. I staggered, fell backward, unsure of what to even think. Her movements were even unnatural and inhuman, just like her appearance. I don't know how to describe it, but was this an alien or a demon? I looked over at Carlos, his face whiter than it had ever been, and he knelt down, saying an audible prayer. It was only after a while that I found the strength to get up, my legs still shaking violently, but they still worked. They felt extremely cold and empty, but somehow, I found the strength and helped Carlos up. We made our way straight back to the cabin, following the markers on the trees. I poured some hot tea while he sat at the table with his head in his hands. Now it was about 5 am, and God knows how much time we had spent sitting there on the ground, too weak to get up. I tried discussing what we had seen, but he wouldn't respond, so I left it alone. Around 9 am, I called my superior, told them what had happened. He told me to get back to the job, asked me if we had been drinking while at work. They weren't much help, so I hung up on him. We had somehow, again, almost broken the rule and interfered. As long as we didn't do it again, we would be safe. The incident was very traumatizing. No sane person would believe me when I say we went back to the forest every night after and still do. The rule is supposed to protect us, and we had faith in it. At least, I hope it does. This job has meant everything to me, and I don't have a plan B. So, I'm hoping I don't encounter this stuff anymore. I tried to look around and see if there's anything I could use as a reference before posting this, so when you read it, you would understand. It kind of reminded me of the witch I think they call La Llorona, if I'm remembering correctly. But whatever this was, it was either a demon or a supernatural entity. It felt evil. It looked evil. Why it was there, I don't know, and I don't care. I just don't want to see it again. My name is Aaron, and I'm a police officer who often works with park rangers to maintain the safety and beauty of our local parks. One summer, I was partnered with Carl, a ranger from the Sierra Club, and we were assigned to clear barbed wire at Squaw Meadows, south of Squaw Mountain in Oregon. We camped overnight on July 15th, eager to begin our work the next day. As night fell, the forest around us came alive with the sounds of nocturnal creatures. I'd always been intrigued by the local legends of the Wendigo, a mysterious and fearsome creature said to inhabit these woods. As we sat around the campfire, I decided to try tapping on a piece of wood, hoping to communicate with the elusive creature. To my surprise, I heard a reply, a very loud rap coming from the roaring river valley below our campsite. Carl and I exchanged glances, our interest peaked. The next day, we continued our work, clearing the barbed wire that marred the pristine landscape. Our peaceful work was suddenly interrupted by the roar of a herd of motorcycles. The riders sped by at a higher elevation, their engines echoing through the valley. As the noise from the motorcycles faded, 
A strange sound reached my ears. It was a loud, monkey-like whoop that seemed to come from the same direction as the Wendigo's rap the night before. Carl looked at me, his eyes wide with astonishment. Did you hear that? He asked, his voice barely above a whisper. Yeah, I did, I replied, my heart pounding in my chest. It sounded like it came from the valley. We decided to investigate, cautiously making our way down to the roaring river valley. As we ventured deeper into the woods, the whooping sound grew louder, but we could not pinpoint its source. The forest seemed to close in around us, as if it were hiding a secret that it did not want to share. Despite our efforts, we never found the source of the strange sound. We continued our work, clearing the barbed wire and ensuring the safety of the park for its visitors. Yet the memory of the Wendigo's reply and the eerie whooping sound stayed with me, a haunting reminder of the mysteries that still lurk in the depths of the forest. Though I may never know for certain whether I truly heard the Wendigo or not, the experience taught me to respect and appreciate the unknown. The wilderness holds secrets that may never be revealed, and I am grateful for the opportunity to experience its mysteries firsthand. My name is Sean Kerr, and I've always been drawn to the mysteries of the night. On July 12th, I found myself near the Willamette River town of Willamette, Oregon, at midnight. My trusty dog, Max, was with me, and we were exploring an area off the freeway, where a sewage stream flowed through the brambles and swamp. The arc street lights cast eerie shadows on the ground as we wandered through the darkness. As we walked along the stream, I suddenly noticed a large white creature moving around. It was about 100 to 200 feet away, bobbing up and down in different locations. I couldn't shake the feeling that it was watching me, studying my every move. It seemed to be about 7 feet tall, with 3 inch long white dirty hair, and a head shaped like a massive dome. My heart pounded in my chest as I realized that this might be the dog man, a creature that had been reported in the area before. There were a lot of nutria living in the area, and I wondered if the dog man was attracted to their presence. Strangely, Max didn't seem concerned about the creature at all. He just sniffed the air, seemingly unbothered by the eerie presence. I decided to cautiously approach the creature, hoping to get a better look and perhaps even capture some evidence of its existence. As I moved closer, the dog man continued to bob and weave through the shadows, never staying in one place for long. It seemed almost curious, as if it was trying to get a better look at me without revealing itself completely. I remembered hearing about white werewolf tracks that had been reported upstream on a tributary of the Tualatin River last year. Could this creature be related to those sightings? My curiosity and fascination only grew as I continued to observe the dog man. Unfortunately, as I tried to get closer, the creature seemed to sense my intentions and suddenly vanished into the darkness. I searched the area for any signs of its presence, hoping to find tracks or some other evidence that would prove what I had seen. But there was nothing, no tracks, no disturbed foliage, nothing. Feeling both exhilarated and disappointed, I returned to Max, who was still sniffing the air, seemingly unfazed by the entire encounter. I couldn't help but wonder why he hadn't reacted more strongly to the dog man's presence. 
Did he sense something about the creature that I couldn't? That night, I returned home with more questions than answers. My encounter with the dog man near the Willamette River was a strange and unsettling experience, but it only fueled my desire to uncover the truth about the mysterious creatures that lurk in the shadows of our world. Once I was picking up hay from a farm in the middle of nowhere. It was 11 p.m. And I called the day before and asked if I could sleep on their property for my break and they said yes. At one point I got to dirt roads and no street signs. The GPS seemed like it was a quarter mile off, it showed my vehicle off the road I was on and I was crossing intersections a minute or two after the GPS said I was there. When it told me to turn there was nowhere to turn so I drove another fifth of a mile and assumed that was where I was supposed to turn. I got a quarter mile down the road and came to a sign that said this was not ABC road and not to continue with directions on how to get there. I didn't want to back out but going forward was a real woodsy area so I walked down the road some to see if I could turn around. I got to a clearing and could see about 500 feet further there were 50 or so people with robes and hoods on and a cross burning. I went straight back to my truck and began to back out. Within a few minutes someone came out in a pickup and asked what's up. I said I was lost because of GPS and I saw the sign and decided to back out. They said they'd park and use their headlights so I could see the road when I was backing up and I never turned back. Most paranormal, I was driving at 2 am. And saw someone in the road and changed lanes, slowed down, pulled over, and got out to see what was going on. I never found anyone but I did a quick walk around of my truck and one of my steer tires was close to failing. I was 90k pounds with flammable liquids and about to go down a curvy mountain so I probably would have died if it blew at any decent speed. I went down the mountain at 10 miles per hour and got it repaired at the next truck stop. Just to clarify, there was no sign of a tire problem and there was definitely someone in the roadway. I was only doing 20 miles per hour up a grade when I saw this person so having and stopping didn't do any damage. It was a decade ago, but the memory remains vivid in my mind. I was driving alone late at night, around 2 am, on a desolate two-lane highway in way upstate New York. The moonlight cast eerie shadows on the road as I cruised along enjoying the solitude and silence that enveloped me. As I approached a long, flat, left-hand bend in the road, there was a sudden bright flash, like a camera flash, in my driver's side window. Startled, I instinctively slowed down, my heart pounding in my chest. I scanned my surroundings, searching for the source of the light. But I was utterly alone on the road. No cars in front of me, none behind me, and none on the other side of the highway. The area was wide open, devoid of any trees or bushes that could have obscured my sight lines. I should have been able to spot headlights or taillights from any nearby vehicles, but there was nothing. Just the empty road and the haunting silence of the night. Puzzled and unnerved, I continued driving, my mind racing with questions. What could have caused that flash? Was it a trick of the light? A reflection from some distant source? Or perhaps something more mysterious? As the years passed, I often found myself revisiting that night, 
trying to make sense of what I had experienced. I consulted friends and even researched possible explanations online, but nothing seemed to fit. Sometimes, when I find myself driving alone at night, I can't help but glance nervously at my driver's side window, half expecting to see another flash. The mystery remains unsolved, a lingering reminder that there are still things in this world that defy explanation. That night has stayed with me, a haunting memory that never fails to send a chill down my spine. Though I may never uncover the truth behind the mysterious flash, it has left me with a profound sense of awe and wonder, a reminder of the enigmatic mysteries that lie just beyond our understanding. My second close call with a Sasquatch was up in southeast Alaska. I had spent the summer working as a deckhand on a salmon tenderer, earned a full share position for rock crab, but wanted to take a break before the salmon season ended and cod and crab began. The captain told me to stay out of the bars and go camp outside town. The plan was I'd have a couple weeks to do as I please, then meet them dockside on Kodiak. Since I was such a smart guy, I decided to ask the cannery manager if I could crash in his office instead. He said yes so I quickly stowed my gear and then headed to the bar in town. Ended up getting drunk as hell and into an altercation with some other fishermen. I left to head back to the cannery and someone hit me in the back of the head with a blunt object, beer bottle maybe? I woke up at dawn, face down in the grass beside the bar, cold and drenched from a rainstorm that had passed while I was unconscious. I stumbled back to the cannery, washed the blood off my head, and checked into a motel. Took me a few days to start feeling better. The chambermaid brought me lots of soup to help with the mild hypothermia I'd gotten. While recovering, I watched a documentary about Sasquatch sightings. For some damn reason, that movie gave me the itch to go see one up close. I ended up paying the chambermaid to drive me to a gravel road that led towards a forest where Sasquatch had been spotted that time of the year. She drove me about 8 miles outside of town and I walked another 7 before I bumped into a Sasquatch foraging for food, next to the trail. I whipped out my digital camera and began filming it but most of its body was obscured by ferns. The creature was about 80 yards away and I wanted close-up footage, so I kept inching forward until it finally spotted me. It stood up on its hind legs and cocked its head. I chuckled a little at that. Then it dropped down to all fours and took a couple of steps towards me. That's when I thought, oh crap. I started backing up, and after a few steps, the Sasquatch ran uphill, presumably away from me. I felt relief wash over me and started talking to the camera about how that was awesome and I can't wait to see more. I waited 5-10 minutes before continuing because I wanted to give it time to clear out. I made it less than 50 feet before the Sasquatch came charging out of the bushes on a small cliff about 15 feet above me and to the left, growling and thrashing the bushes. I was caught totally off guard by it and couldn't even think. My body didn't wait for a decision, though. With no thinking whatsoever, I ran as fast as I could for as long as I could. I nearly puked when I finally got myself stopped. My throat felt a little sore later that day, so I might have even been screaming while I sprinted away. And that was the end of my little excursion. Once I caught my breath and thought it over, 
I realized I was a total idiot for being 15 miles outside of town with no gun or bear spray. Can't believe I watched a documentary about Sasquatch sightings and felt inspired by it. I hiked about 4 miles back towards town when a middle-aged woman drove by and offered me a ride. This is no bullshit, she made me get into a dog cage in the back of her SUV. I didn't complain, though, because she was saving me from having to hike another 12 miles to town. Plus, I understood that I was a stranger in a remote area and she just wanted to feel safe. Along the way, she asked what I was doing out there unarmed and told me I was a dumbass after I told her the truth. Vailp, that's it for my scary Sasquatch encounters. Luckily, I lived long enough to mature out of youthful recklessness. I hate to think what mess I would have gotten into if that Sasquatch hadn't bluff charged me and spooked me back to town. If I'd made it deeper into the forest and freaked out like that, I probably would have been in real danger. Nowadays, whenever I recount this story, I am reminded of the sheer stupidity of my younger self. But, at the same time, I can't help but feel grateful for that close encounter. It served as a wake-up call that made me reassess my actions and taught me the importance of being prepared and respecting the wild. These days, whenever I venture out into the wilderness, I make sure to be fully equipped and to educate myself about the area and its inhabitants. And, although I still have a sense of adventure, I now take a more cautious and respectful approach when exploring unknown territories. My father is a lorry driver in Europe and I used to keep him company during summertime when I was still at school age. There was a one night that I remember correctly. It was like 1-2 am in Latvia when I saw this guy in a black hat standing next to the road and trying to hitchhike. We missed him and I asked my father why didn't we stop to help him it was raining heavily. He said that it is not safe and we just went past him. But in like 30 minutes there was the same guy standing on the side of the road, I was like 12 back then. I told my father and he just stated that this was a coincidence and we went past him again. But in like again 40 to 50 minutes there was the same guy this time waving at us. I was sure it was him again but my father said nothing and told me to go to sleep. That is one of strange things I saw during my escapades with my father. He doesn't want to talk about that one ever. I was spiked out in the Russian wilderness and woken up at about 2 am by a sound that was just like a baby whimpering and crying. As the father of three I think there's something etched in my survival instinct that's triggered by the sound of a baby crying in the night. My eyes burst open the size of saucers straining to see beyond the darkness at the horror. I knew had to be there staring at me. I laid there frozen for what seemed like minutes trying to wrap my brain around how a baby could be crying in the middle of wilderness. Mere feet from my bivy nonetheless. I picked up my headlamp and turned it on expecting this to be the last memory I'd ever have. Before the child of Satan devoured me. I scanned the slope behind my camp looking for anything that could be holding a crying baby. A deranged killer, a zombie mother, a rabid mountain lion. I remember the sound changing from a crying to almost an alien language that included little beeps and clicks. It was about two or three minutes of this not-stop madness before something below the fan of my light caught my eye. 
I turned my headlamp toward the ground and there, about three yards away, was what looked like an all-brown guinea pig. Now I'm really baffled, how the hell did a guinea pig get loose out here? Well it eventually ran down a burrow below a tree stump and I never saw it again. I was still camped out for another two or three days before heading home then spent the next week googling. Brown guinea pig in the wilderness. Finally the mystery was solved. It was a mountain beaver. It's easy to find a picture of one but really hard to find the sound one makes when you're googling for guinea pigs in the wilderness. My co-driver and I generally took contracts from Utah to Pennsylvania and we would make those deliveries in less than 48 hours. It was always finding contracts back that was a little trickier, but eventually, we'd find two or three contracts that would lead us back to Utah. I wasn't comfortable with driving at night, but my co-driver loved it. So he drove during the night and I drove during the day. This would change once winter hit because the days were a lot shorter. I would start my shift sometime around 5-7 am so that my co-driver could start a shift around 6-8 pm. One time, we had to make a delivery with a very tight deadline. And to make it as efficient as possible, that meant I would have to drive several hours after sunset. Since we were out in the boonies, it was pitch black on the highway, with the occasional speeding car or truck that the darkness would engulf within a mile. I would have been more at ease if there was a fellow truck on the road with me because it would have increased my line of sight. But this wasn't the case. I was the only one on the road at that time and I could only see as far as my headlights. Then, before I knew it, I saw someone standing at the side of the road. I thought it was a hitchhiker, but the person wasn't looking at me. When I got closer, the person jumped in front of the truck. I screamed and shifted down so quick. The commotion made my co-driver jump out of the cab and I explained what happened while parking the truck on the shoulder. We checked the front of the truck, but there was no sign that I hit anything. I was too chicken to go look for that person, so my co-driver went to check, but he found no one. We, wife and I, Take expeditions to backcountry Vermont fly fishing in the spring and usually do really well on brookies. We hike downstream, camp and fish back. We generally will put on 10-15 miles on a long weekend. Anyway, so this spring we were doing our usual hitting nice pools and catching natives. One afternoon we were hiking back to camp on the bank. We came over a rise and about 40 yards away was a barefoot man, gray breeches, long untucked white shirt standing on the river edge below us. I froze. He was staring straight ahead across the river and then his head jerked at our direction. The whole person was a strange color, like a foggy scene almost. I was fixed on him, maybe 4-6 seconds and looked back at my wife. The look on her face told me she had already seen it too. I looked right back, and the person was gone. No way a living human could have fled without us seeing. We chatted bewildered for a few and then I had to go to check for tracks. Nope. Not any sign. Yeah, that was interesting. I used to ride share with a colleague on a 45-minute trip to and from work each day. While sitting as passenger one day gazing out the window, 
I very clearly saw a dead body hanging from a tree in a field close to the motorway. My stomach turned immediately and I said oh shit. Did you see that? My colleague asks what happened I told him I just see someone hanging from a tree in the field back there. For the rest of the day I was pretty shook up by it. My colleague was somewhat skeptical and suggested that we look again tomorrow on the way home only that I would drive instead, the idea being that he could see for himself. Anyway, on the journey home I drove in the slow lane and we approached the same spot. I slowed down as much as I could, bearing in mind this is a 70 miles per hour motorway, and sure enough the body was still hanging from the tree. My body shot cold again. Not close enough to see features but enough to make out from the clothes that it was most likely a man. However, my colleague still could not see where I was pointing and he missed it again. I went home and googled local news etc. For any missing person and came up with nothing. I decided the next day that I would have to take action and stop on the hard shoulder slash lay by and report this. The next day comes and on the drive back we stop on the hard shoulder of the motorway get out and make our way to the tree. I remember my mouth being dry and my heart racing as we approached. We came to the clearing from which you could see the tree. All that was hanging from the tree was a snapped rope. Hunting about 10 miles into a trail in central California near Santa Barbara for deer. It's the last morning as we are out of water and I'm tired of boiling and drinking warm water from a little spring. Didn't have a filter but wish I did. Watched a small buck walk up a hill and disappear into the brush. Few seconds later heard the most shrilling and blood-curling scream I ever heard. Looked at my friends and they were wide-eyed too. Sounded like a banshee slash women being stabbed concluded it was probably a weird bird sound and proceeded to take off running towards where I saw the buck disappear, in hopes of relocating it and confirming it was too small to legally take. Right where the scream came from. Found nothing and called it quits and hiked out of there. In my city, there's this old mansion surrounded by acres of land, which is also a park, out in the country. The frontage road main road, is lined with tall palm trees for several miles. But it's all flatlands from the mansion to a main highway intersection, about 15 miles. There's stories of the mansion and surrounding area being haunted so a group of us would go out there at late at night. Just to see if we'd see anything. So one night a bunch of us with nothing better to do go out there and drive around the park. After a while of not seeing anything, we decide to head down towards the highway. Now, it's late at night in the country. And no one is on the road when all of a sudden, it appears there's a car coming towards us in the opposite direction. It's not the headlights that we see, but the glare of the headlights. Like the top of the lights as if it were to come up from hill, best way to describe it. Anyways, I turn down my high beams because I don't want to blind the other driver, when we all notice the car isn't coming closer approaching us. Since I'm driving, I'm thinking, weird, so I speed up, thinking the oncoming car will be visible. Again, this is a flat road, there's no hills, so I'm getting a little nervous that this car's headlights has not come into view. The other thing, no matter how fast or slow I was driving, that light kept the same distance, 
never getting any closer or farther. I'm getting a little freaked out and I'm still driving fast, like 60-70 miles per hour, and we are still just seeing the top of what should have been headlights. After about maybe 10 minutes, the light disappears, so we think that we'll catch up to what we think is a parked car, but no, nothing. We reached the intersection for the highway and there was no car or anything. That road is a two-way road with grape fields on both sides so there's no way it could have pulled off to the side. We drove back down that road, to head back towards the mansion and to the city, but those car lights never appeared and we never figured out what it was. Bow hunting on my friend's property in Northern California for deer a few years ago. It's only 5 acres but for some reason monster blacktail like to come through that area. Set up where I see them coming through on trail camera at 4am and begin waiting. Still dark and I look over my shoulder behind me and see a bush I don't remember being there. About 15 yards from me. I continue to stare at this bush for about 20 minutes. During this 20 minute period the bush kept shape shifting. Changing into the shape of a human, a bear, a rabbit, and all other various weird shapes. I look forward and look back and it's now moved and I start to realize it's not a bush and something keeps creeping towards me. It's obviously aware of me and is probably within 10 yards of me. I'm thinking it's a lion and this is getting real bad. It's still shape shifting and just floating along. Disappears behind a small hill 10 yards to my left. Arrow knocked him ready for whatever this thing is to pounce on me. Arrow knocked I blast my headlamp and watch a doe book it away from me. Crazy what the imagination can come up with when your eyes can't fully adjust or comprehend to what you're looking at. It was a cold, early morning, and I was driving to work at 4 a.m. I had always preferred taking the back roads, even if it meant waking up a bit earlier. There was something calming about the quiet countryside as I navigated the twists and turns, far from the noise and chaos of the city. As I drove into a small valley, I noticed a thin layer of fog enveloping the landscape, lending an ethereal quality to the scene. My headlights pierced through the mist, revealing the road ahead. I continued driving, alert and focused, until something unusual caught my eye. Suddenly, the fog right in front of me seemed to take on a peculiar shape. It appeared to form the figure of a teenager wearing a hoodie, his hands tucked into his pockets and his back to me. The sight was so unexpected and eerie that it sent a shiver down my spine. In the blink of an eye, the ghostly apparition seemed to flow over my car as I drove through it. It all happened so quickly that I didn't even have time to break. I just screamed, my heart pounding in my chest. I continued driving, my nerves rattled by the bizarre encounter. Now, I don't believe in ghosts, and I know it was probably just a freak shape in the fog, but it was enough to leave me shaken for the rest of my drive to work. As the sun began to rise and the fog dissipated, I couldn't help but replay the incident in my mind, questioning what I had seen. Though I knew it was most likely just an odd formation in the mist, the experience left me with a lingering sense of unease. Now, whenever I drive through foggy backroads, I can't help but keep an eye out for any ghostly shapes lurking in the mist. And though I still don't believe in ghosts, 
that chilling morning encounter has forever changed the way I perceive the world around me. I have a backcountry hunting story from the Cascades in Washington a few years back. I was with my brother, we were 12 miles from the nearest road, 6 miles of normal trail and 6 more miles on a trail long abandoned that was near worthless. It was super steep and we were bushwhacking with every step, blow down all over it. The only backcountry hunt that I wished I had a machete. Point is we picked this area because no one else should be around. Took most of the day to get to nearly the only flat spot around. We glassed a deer or two before dark but were hunting bear. Woke up that night around 1am to the sound of digging. Figured it was a bear rolling over logs and digging up the ground except it sounded more metallic like a shovel being forced into rocky soil. It was slightly downhill from us and I poked my head out of the tent tried to shine my light to at least scare the bear off. Didn't see anything. Must have been further away than I thought. Listened for a while longer then fell back asleep. Not much longer and my brother wakes me up with eyes as big as dinner plates. There were voices about 10 feet from our tent. I roll over and can see a light shining outside our tent. We lay there and listen for a minute and they are speaking some Eastern European language. My brother is freaking out, but I mustered the courage to poke my head out of the tent. There was three guys huddled together with headlamps shining on the ground, looking possibly at a map. They don't see me so I slide back in the tent and report this to my brother. My brother is still freaking out but for some reason that I still don't know why, I was super calm. I remember thinking if they were going to harm us, they would have already and it didn't seem much use to talk to them since they weren't speaking English. They walked away after a few more minutes and I feel back asleep, but I don't think my brother slept another wink. There is no way they could have made it into that area in the dark unless they knew it well. It was hard to do in broad daylight. Back at home, I recount the story to my wife who is convinced they buried a body up there and that was them making the noise, not a bear. I think there would have been 1000 places along the way to our camp to do something like that, but who knows. My grandfather always had a knack for telling stories that made the hairs on the back of my neck stand up. One particular tale he shared with me has always stuck in my mind. It took place many years ago when he was a young man in India, driving his truck between rural villages late at night. The sky was pitch black, and the only source of light came from the truck's headlights as they cut through the darkness. There was nobody around, and the only sound was the rumbling of the truck's engine. As he continued his journey, he reached a particularly wobbly stretch of road, forcing him to slow down. As he inched his way forward, something caught his eye. A small shadow darted across the headlights, running at a seemingly inhuman speed. Upon closer inspection, he realized that it was a baby, or at least it appeared to be. Shocked and confused, he decided to stop the truck and investigate. My grandfather got out of his truck and began to chase after the baby, desperate to find out what was going on. He called out, his voice echoing through the darkness, but there was no response. The baby had seemingly vanished into the surrounding forest. He searched for what felt like hours, but ultimately, he could not find any trace of the child. 
Defeated and bewildered, he returned to his truck and continued his journey, unable to shake the eerie encounter from his thoughts. Over the years, my grandfather has recounted this story many times, and each time it sends shivers down my spine. Was it truly a baby that he saw that night, or was it something else entirely? We may never know the truth, but the mystery of that haunting experience will continue to linger in our imaginations. It all happened when I was just a kid, barely four or five years old. My parents had taken me on an archery hunting trip in the dense forests of Northern California, almost touching the Oregon border. We had set up camp, and the excitement of the wilderness filled my young heart. One sunny day, my parents were busy preparing for the day's hunt. With my little longbow in hand, I decided to explore the area surrounding our camp. I wandered around, absorbed in the beauty of nature, feeling like a little adventurer. As I meandered deeper into the woods, a strange and inexplicable feeling began to creep over me. It was as if I could sense something was not quite right. My heart started to pound in my chest, and a wave of dread washed over me. It was a feeling that I couldn't quite comprehend at that age, but the intensity of the fear was enough to make me drop my longbow and start running back towards the safety of our camper. As I sprinted back to the camp, tears streaming down my face, I caught a glimpse of something that would haunt me for years to come. A large, canine-like creature stood on two legs, watching me from a distance. It was a dogman, a creature I had only heard of in stories told around the campfire. Its piercing eyes seemed to follow me as I desperately tried to put some distance between us. I burst into the camp, panting and crying, and my parents immediately rushed to my side. I tried my best to explain the fear that had gripped me and the strange creature I had seen. They listened with concern and did their best to reassure me that it was likely just my imagination or a trick of the light. As the years went by, that terrifying memory remained etched in my mind. I could never shake the feeling that what I had seen that day was real. The dogman, with its menacing gaze, had left a lasting impression on my young mind. Now, as an adult, I look back at that experience with a mixture of fear and fascination. I've heard countless stories of dogman sightings and encounters, and I can't help but wonder if what I saw that day was truly one of those elusive creatures. Whatever it was, the encounter has left me with a healthy respect for the unknown and the mysteries that still exist in the depths of the wilderness. It was during my high school days when I had the most spine-chilling encounter of my life. I was an avid archery enthusiast and often went hunting for pigs along a creek not far from my home. The dense foliage and the active pig population made it the perfect spot for honing my skills. One evening, as the sun began to set, I was waiting patiently along the trail the pigs used, hoping they would show up before darkness fell. I could hear the rustling of a herd in the bushes on the far side of the creek, and excitement surged through my veins. Suddenly, the peaceful ambience was shattered by the sound of a pig screaming its head off. The rest of the herd scattered in a frenzy, and an eerie silence fell upon the area. My heart raced as I tried to make sense of what had just happened. Then I heard it, the growl of a mountain lion. The sound sent chills down my spine. 
Armed with nothing more than my bow, I felt incredibly vulnerable. I knew I had to get back to my truck as quickly as possible. As I hurried back, my mind raced with thoughts of the mountain lion and its potential prey. However, the more I thought about it, the more something felt off. The scream I had heard from the pig was more guttural and desperate than I had ever experienced. It seemed almost unnatural. With every step I took, a nagging thought gnawed at me, what if it wasn't just a mountain lion? The idea seemed far-fetched, but I couldn't shake it. That's when it dawned on me, the Wendigo, a terrifying creature from Native American folklore, known to hunt in the wilderness and prey on the unsuspecting. I quickened my pace, and as I neared my truck, I could feel the temperature drop sharply. The air around me grew thick with tension, and I felt as if I was being watched. My instinct screamed at me to leave immediately. I made it to my truck and fumbled with the keys, my hands shaking. As the engine roared to life, I cast one last glance towards the creek. In the growing darkness, I could barely make out a tall, emaciated figure with hollow eyes and razor-sharp teeth, standing at the edge of the trees. The Windigo. I slammed my foot on the gas, speeding away from the nightmare that had unfolded before me. The memory of that night remains vivid, a stark reminder that the world is full of mysteries and dangers that lurk just beyond our comprehension. Working a seasonal job in Northeast Colorado just out of college. I was staying in housing provided by my employer with seven other folks. We all had an odd feeling about the place but no real concrete reason for our feelings. After a few weeks some odd things started happening but once more not enough to really prove anything. The turning point happened when one night the oldest guy in the group, 40-ish year old retired SEAL, was passed out on the couch with my lab sleeping behind it. The couch came out from the wall and the back faced the kitchen in the double wide we were staying in. My dog started growling and staring into the kitchen about 1 in the morning and that woke my buddy up. He sat up on the couch and told Remy to quiet down and lay down. She continued growling and staring into the kitchen but eased her way around the couch to get further away. She eventually laid down in front of the couch but my buddy was awake at this point laying there listening because he trusted dogs when they told him something. He heard a click in the kitchen and sat up again to look. The old basic coffee pot in the kitchen had been turned on and nobody had been there. It had a toggle switch that couldn't just flip on by accident. At that point he kinda just shrugged it off and went back to sleep knowing there wasn't anything more to be done. It happened multiple more times over the following months and we just kinda got used to the ghost or whatever it was messing with us. There were many other odd things that happened to us while we worked this job but this was the easiest to explain. I grew up across the road from a fairly large, for the east, chunk of state land hat I would hunt and hike on some. When I was probably 15. I was really getting into bow hunting, but being unable to drive, my only option unless my dad was going to go to this public land. Now this is northern West Virginia. Thick mountain laurel and not a lot of deer on public land, but it was a way for me to get out. I had an old-school junkie climber that used wing nuts to strap to the tree so it was super time-consuming to pack up in the dark. 
One night I hunt and if I recall correctly saw a couple deer out of range, which was rare honestly. Since I'd seen deer I was feeling brave and decided I'd sit till dark, 15 year old kid not used to being alone, kinda rare for me to actually stick it out lol. So it gets dark and I climb down and start packing up. I'm feeling a little uneasy because it's dark now and I'm fiddling with this stand. When all of a sudden right behind me I hear a noise clear as day. The only way I can describe this noise is a really aggressive buck grunt. I jumped up and looked all around but never saw anything or heard anything. I grabbed that stand and booked it out there without even strapping it all together. I spent 20 minutes trying to make my grunt make that noise without me blowing through it but it wasn't going to happen. I have no clue what it was but it took weeks before I hunted in there again and I still feel uneasy after dark in there. Things as a kid have a way of sticking with you. Spring turkey season, weather is absolutely perfect. While at work that afternoon I decided that the moment I get off work I'm making the hour drive to the farm I hunt and going to camp in the bed of my truck under the stars and enjoy the night before hunting the next morning. I run home immediately after work grab my sleeping bag, turkey gear, pack a cooler and get on the road. It's every bit of 10.45 pm at this point. I'm tired but don't care I'm driving windows down enjoying the night drive through rural Kentucky. I arrive to the farm about midnight. I drive down the tree line a bit and pull off in the middle of the field to get an unobstructed view of the magnificent starts without presence of a moon. I hope in the bed of the truck and get nestled in my bag while sleeping under the stars. I'm instantly awakened heart pounding out of my chest by what felt like someone or something was jumping up and down on the bumper or climbing over the tailgate to get. I mean whole truck shaking and rocking. I lay there frozen in fear mind racing thinking old Squatch is in the bed of the truck with me coming to get me. I lay there a few eternities and become brave enough to stick my head out of the bag and above the bed of the truck. Nothing around. I get a phone call from my mom. It's like 2.30 in the morning very odd. Hello? Holy cow did you just feel that earthquake? Earthquake? Yes, earthquake just rattled the whole neighborhood. So now I know what an earthquake feels like in the middle of field in the bed of a truck. I had a scary experience in the woods I'll share. It wasn't creepy or spooky, but it definitely got my adrenaline flowing. My then wife and I were camping with our nine-month baby out in the Mendocino National Forest, California, at Howard Meadows near Howard Lake. The first night we camped there was another group at the Choice Campsite so we took another that had shade. We sent our tent up on a nice flat that happened to have a game trail going through it. That night I woke up to the sound of footsteps in the night. Whatever it was had some weight to it, so I was listening with interest. All of a sudden whatever it was decided to go for it, and bolted right by the tent at a gallop. I sat and laughed realizing that we blocked some large deer's path, it sounded like it could have been an elk, but I don't think there were any of those around there then. The next day the other group left and so we picked up our tent and moved to the choice site for our second night. We had a nice time that evening and I put down enough beers to sleep soundly, apparently. In the middle of the night my wife wakes me up and says there's something barking outside the tent. 
I didn't think much of it and told her it was probably coyotes howling at the moon. I was just about back to sleep when I heard the sound of an animal that had to be right outside the tent. It was sort of a barking sound, but my immediate thought was cat. I had never heard a cat make a sound like that, but I was sure there was a mountain lion right outside our tent. I immediately sat up wide awake, grabbed my hunting knife and mag light and prepared for a claw to come through the wall of the tent, while cussing myself for leaving my pistol home. I sat there and listened intently for a few minutes and didn't hear a sound except the blood pumping in my ears. I was convinced that the cat, or whatever it was, hadn't moved off or I would have heard it. So I shined the light through the screen top portion of the dome tent all around, but didn't see anything. So then I unzipped the door and stuck my head out, maybe not the best decision, and shined the light to look around. Just as I shined the light towards the road that led to the lake I saw the hind end and long tail of a mountain lion going over a little rise in the road on its way to the lake. I don't think I slept much the rest of the night. The next morning we heard the same barking cat sound down at the lake and some splashing and the ducks making a ruckus. I figured it was trying to catch a duck. It was weird lion behavior. It was the smallest of the five lions I've seen in person and my impression at the time was that it was perhaps a young lion whose mama had just given it the boot. It didn't seem like it really knew what it was doing. 